and welcome to Alone in the Boondocks. My name's Kreps. And my name is Drew Sisersky. Um, So, it's been a while since we've done one of these, and it feels weird to say a lot has changed in that time, but it has, and today we're going to talk about it a little bit, and everything that's happened in the past seven months. So, um... Drew's with us today, like he is every week, but he now has the last name for the first time in Alone in the Boondocks history, even though his voice is very recognizable and anybody who knew already knew. Yeah, I guess I'm done with anonymity unless, uh, yeah, unless I decide not to be done with anonymity (laughs) for now. uh, You are anonymous? Yeah, yeah. Um, So yeah, we, we, you know, we were excited to do our first podcast in person together instead of over um zoom or whatever proprietary zoom discord mm-hmm. all the there is a nice no latency between us now yeah. though which is uh, feels, which yeah. is fantastic we'll still probably talk over each other yeah um yeah our, our topic today and and again just to try to make it um relevant to people who don't know us personally maybe uh we're gonna do our best to relate some of what happened over the last <clears throat> few months to, um, you know, larger struggles that exist in rural America. That, that's, you know, the whole point of the, the podcast. Um, I made a joke, um, I don't know how many episodes back, about, like, um, my wife left me, remember? It was not funny. It was not very funny. Um, and now uh, jokes like that seem like, profane or something right um because now um i am uh a widower my my wife died um on september 25th one day before our our sixth wedding anniversary um sorry we might have to break occasionally for this um but it's it's easy to do there's only one there's only one uh, one microphone recording now yeah yeah um, so yeah, we're gonna talk about this um, entire tragedy, uh, what what the community response was, mo- most of which was enormously, enormously gracious and positive and and loving. Um, some of it wasn't. So um, you know, ever ever the pessimist, cynic, whatever, I, you, you will, we'll probably end up. Focusing mostly on the negative, because again, you know, even even with the community response being primarily positive, it, this is not a situation. Um, you know, I know, I know that, yeah, it's not a situation that's easy to to stay positive about. So, well, they say a bad apple spoils the whole bunch, or something like that. Yeah, and that's definitely my bunch is spoiled. Um, so on May second, um, we. Uh, my wife and I had been um, at an outdoor um, baby shower for my my brother and my sister in law. Um, we had prepared the food for it. It was a, it was honestly a, a great day, and I, I guess feel I, like that's what. I mean, I, 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 there's obviously a lot that feels horrible about this situation, but it's just so strange that like in the um, you know what preceded the tragedy was. A remarkable day, beautiful, like uh, unusually warm for May second, and very windy. It was very windy. It was a very windy day. Um, so yeah, 
baby shower in a public park. Um, again, not, you know, our biggest reservation about the entire thing was that not everyone in attendance was hundred uh, percent COVID uh, compliant, which made it a little bit difficult, but overall, I think everyone was respectful. Um, folks distanced appropriately. Yeah. You sat with your, your, your people. Yeah. I guess yeah, the... yeah. You sat with your, uh, yeah. Yeah. Your tribe. Sure. Um, that night we went home, um, same hometown uh, as the you know the, the our home is in the same town as the park where we had the event um and because it was so warm that day um in the evening my wife and my daughter and i um hung out in our basement because it was cooler down there um and we yeah i don't know it's hard to put some of it together i guess um yeah, we were just hanging out in the basement, and my wife, it was a Sunday, my wife went upstairs to get her shower, because um, after after we had the baby, like, I, you know, details you don't need. She now showers at night, so that's one last thing to take care of in the mornings when we were getting um, our daughter ready to go. Um, I heard the shower come on, you know, everything seemed normal. Um, I was in the basement with my daughter. Uh, she was watching nursery rhymes and I was getting ready to read a book to her um, when I heard my wife and I'm, I'm gonna say her name because again I, I almost it almost feels insulting to reduce her to just that single role um, Daris I heard her scream my name my 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 first name Um and, and again, you know, I, I go by Drew more often than Andrew to hear her say Andrew, you know, nor, normally meant I was in trouble. Um, or or she was like trying to get like that's that might be what she would say if we were like in a crowded place and she was trying to yell over um, other people to, to get my attention. I heard her say Andrew and I went running upstairs and my 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 dogs, my, my daughter stayed in the basement. We had a baby gate up. She was in again what I thought at this point to be a safe location um, when I got upstairs um, without explaining the geography of our house too much I guess um, our hallway was engulfed in fire um, my wife was again I don't know how I heard her voice so clearly from where I was at um, in, in the basement but uh, Daris was trapped in the bathroom by these flames kept the door shut i yelled to her to keep the door shut um because again you know and in in retrospect i guess i should tell the story and then we can talk about my reflection on it i guess um told her to to stay in the bathroom with the door shut and to wet towels um i ran back downstairs um and grabbed my daughter um she was crying already again probably just because I, I left so quickly or, or maybe because she heard Daris's voice I'm not sure um, ran back downstairs grabbed my daughter went out of our basement doors and and screamed at the top of my lungs um, and I, I know I said help you know help please help me I don't remember what else I said um, and no sooner had that you know I, I like I don't know I remember just running and like clutching her head against my chest hoping that someone could come take her from me so that I could go back in for Daris. Um, two of our neighbors, again, um, I think they saw the smoke before they heard me scream. Uh, they were in the yard immediately. My, my dogs had followed me out uh, into the yard, and I handed um, 
my daughter, June, to one of our, our neighbors, and I ran back in. Um, and at this point, again, I don't know, I don't want to just get lost in the details here, but um, my older dog stayed stayed outside, um, and my younger dog followed me back into the house. I went back into the basement doors, ran up the stairs again as fast as I could, um, and I got into our kitchen. Uh, and at which point, again, like I, I, I never would have. I had no clue what a house fire was like. Like I had no idea. And you know, you can watch the firefighter movies and stuff like that. Um, and you know, you hear about how rapidly it moves. And you know, um, I never realized how how quickly it would consume everything. Um, by the time I got back into the the kitchen and dining room, that entire room. All the walls and cabinets were inflamed. Um, the only wall that was not on fire was the the wall that the dining room shared with the the bathroom, where again I could still hear her, um, not, you know, not crying out, but you know, saying my name or, or asking, you know, what happened or what's going on. Um, I tried to consider what I could use to get through the dining room wall to her. Um, and the only thing I knew that I would be able to get quickly um, that would give me a chance that would also not like rely on being plugged in, you know, was my hatchet, which you actually bought me for Christmas. Um, yeah, again, I, I don't think, yeah, I didn't get the hatchet. I, uh, I started in that direction t towards our garage and, and as I did, I heard her scream my name one last time, and um, it was like an explosion. Like it, it. You know, I've been told now, since the fire by firefighters, that I'm lucky that my lungs weren't vaporized. Again, I don't know what that. Uh, it, I've not done a whole lot of reading about um, fires and and. It's probably some sort of like vacuum. Yeah. Kind I, of added pressure, taking pressure away, and kind of. Yeah, I assume as much um but yeah so i think that you know she she was trapped in the bathroom you know without getting you know going into too much detail about you know the agony that i'm sure she was in um she opened the door she had she had to open the door i, I she was probably suffocating um when she opened the door uh that's when that, you know, the, the, what I'm describing as an explosion occurred and I, it knocked me to the ground. Um, and when I got up again, the, this, the, the, the sensation, um, of your body being on fire is not something anymore that I would wish on my worst enemies. Um, I felt like my eyes were melting. I remember that being, and I couldn't see, like it was, I felt like my fucking eyes were melting. Um, so because I couldn't really see and I was now disoriented from this blast I'm still screaming her name and trying to find where she's at but again like the fire is just moving so fast um, I ran full speed in the direction that I thought I heard her and I slammed into something hard and I again I thought I, you know, I've broken my nose a few times in my life. I thought I broke it again. I didn't. Um, what I hit was our refrigerator. It felt 
again, kind of cool to the touch, but also all the papers that were on it were on fire. So it was, um, again, I tried to orient myself uh, and I turned around because I knew that, you know, if I'm hitting the fridge, she's not in that direction. And, um, you know, a few seconds later, I, I woke, I say I woke up, I didn't pass out, but I, I blacked out. Like there's no memory of this part of the, the event. Um, I woke up in our front yard, uh, standing over my wife who was very much alive. Um, at this point, um, she was, she, she had been in the shower. Um, and, uh, again, I, I don't know how she got out. A lot of, a lot of people initially after the fire credited me with getting, you know, you, you got your daughter and your wife out. Um, I know I got my daughter out and, um, I know that that's what Darius would have wanted me to do. But I don't think I got Darius out. I think that... I think that Darius walked out. Um, but because she had been in the shower, she was naked. And even in this moment, you know, she... She was not a prideful person, but she was also not um, not a nudist, not, not going to happily appear... Um, in her front yard without any clothes on. Um, so she was kind of in the in the, in the fetal position, um, crouched over her knees. And it's about this time that I, I looked to the left and saw the, the neighbors, um, one of which had gotten the younger dog who followed me into the house. Um, he, he ran out on the, oh yeah, that's, sorry, I should mention that too. Um, again, you know, you, any training you ever have, like if your if your workplace does training on fires, um, one of the first things you're told to do is like close the windows, right? Because you suffocate the fire. Right. Um, it the smoke. There was so much smoke in the kitchen and in the dining room, um, plus flames, plus just like I said, the sheer heat of feeling like my eyes were were melting. Um, I opened our patio door in the dining room. Um, my dog ran out onto the deck, and then you know that that the neighbor who wasn't holding my daughter came up, opened the, the gate for the deck and let the dog down again. Um, I love my dogs, but it just, it seems unimportant compared. In essence, you know, what I did by opening that was feed the fire probably, you know? Um, and I, again, I'm working on processing that. There's a lot of guilt associated with the whole thing. There's survivor's guilt. There's, um, for a long time, I had this thing like, you know, my daughter was, you know, quote unquote safe, reasonably safe, whatever, in, in the basement where she was at, where the fire was not. So for a long time, after the fire, when people would, you know, tell me that I did, you know, what I did was good or whatever, um, it was really, it's still hard to hear. And, and, it, and no one said it in a hurtful manner. I just think that it was like, um, you know, no one wants to see hurting person um so they thought they were telling me you know, they, you know daris would have wanted you to get june out first in my head i couldn't bring myself to th you know accept that that was 100 percent truth or that you know even if that even if daris would have wanted me to get june out first and again i'm not in any way like i should clarify i'm not in any way saying like i would have traded one for the other um 
the, the neighbors who took to, who took June from me told my brother later that um, when I ran back into the house, by the time from the time that I I you know got into the door to the time that they found Darius and I in the front yard, he said that maybe forty five seconds had passed. Again, like being in that situation, it was happening fast and. You know, I've 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 been in therapy since this. I've talked to some of the most amazing medical practitioners in the world, um, frankly, um, and they, you know, everyone has said like you were not operating with your whole brain. You were operating with your, you know, your um, your brainstem, your you know, the the reptilian bits of your brain that are just about like survival. Um, so you know that you know anyway anyway. Um, I don't think that I got her out. I think she walked out, but I still can't, um, still doesn't give me, I feel like an, uh, um, an out in terms of the mountains of guilt that I feel because she might still be alive today. If I had gotten her out, gone through the dining room wall and gotten her out and then we could all go out through the basement, grab June, leave, whatever. Um, anyway, so we're in the front yard and, and again, the, here, here's where the, the amazing community, well, I guess the amazing community began when they were already there to take my daughter from me. Um, we, we live in a small town. I, I don't know what the population is to, to guess. Ge geographically, it's a, you know, the township is large, um, but there's no more than 3,000 people in, in the township. And I'd ballpark you three to four. Yeah. Um, within what seems like seconds, there were over a hundred people on site. Um, I called my brother somewhere in there. Um, again, I don't remember when some neighbor had already called 911. Um, another neighbor, you know, saw that I was trying to, to move Darius away from the house, but you know, noticed again that she was um, nude and, and brought a blanket over to cover her. Um, a neighbor and I then, then carried her across the street into another yard um, and, and Darius and I sat on the hill and we talked and, and, um, you know, this is the last time, this is the last time that I got to speak to her and hear her full voice. She asked me if June was okay. She asked me if I was okay. She told me she loved me. She asked me if I thought we lost everything. And I said, yeah. And um, again, because this is just who she was. She um, was a quilt that my grandmother made for my daughter long before my daughter was born. Um, because again, you know, it's that family thing. Like, when are you guys gonna have kids? When you, you know, we always wanted that. We always knew we were going to someday have children, um, whether, you know, they were our biological children or we were going to adopt. Um, I, I don't know that it mattered to Darius really. Um, and, and even if, you know, we, we did have a child biologically, um, we, we still intended to adopt eventually, um, do foster care uh, since that is the system she works in and believes in. So, so wholly, um, anyway, I'm sorry. Uh, my grandma made this quilt from, for my future children. And when, when my wife got pregnant, we were so happy to begin working on a nursery and, and like that was the centerpiece of the nursery the, the nursery was 
I won't say design, we're not fancy. It wasn't designed around anything. It was just like stuff we liked. And um, there were so many kind gifts that people gave us that was, again, like we weren't, I am definitely more worldly than, than Darius was, but I don't think of myself as a uh, super worldly person. These were items given to us by people who loved us. So they were important to us. You know, these were things that we looked forward to treasuring forever. Sorry, I'm rambling. Um, she asked me while we were sitting in the yard, "Did do you think we lost um, the quilt that your grandma made? And I said, yeah, maybe I think we did. Because um, again, I mean, this is the, you know, we're, we're both probably in shock at this point, And it seems like small potatoes in retrospect to think about the quilt. And it is, you know, uh, again, but, you know, um, the entire house was engulfed. And, and again, the roar of that fire and the shattering of, of windows and the, the collapse of that structure is, is a noise, again, you know, second worst noise of that day. Worst noise being her screams when she was yelling for me. Um, we... We're not without paramedics for long. My brother was one of the first people to get there. Um, again, like so many people stepped up. Um, I was I don't know what the right word is. Beyond stunned to see him there. Um, and but it was like it was like I saw him and I thought like okay everything's gonna be okay like we lost everything but I don't care you know Darius Darius is burnt with here she's sitting talking to me and, and again um, to see a, a, a burn right after it happens again with no knowledge of any of this I was like oh it's not that bad you know she's not hurt that bad but um, as soon as paramedics were on the scene, I, you know, they took her away first because her injuries were much more severe than my own. And I asked every, every paramedic and EMT who I spoke to, um, is she going to, is she going to be okay? And no one would answer my question. And I knew that that was, uh, not a great sign. And again, like it's weird, the things you think of in that time, and this is before they began like giving me fentanyl for my own pain. I remember um, in our in our community, oh man, ten years ago or so, there were two people who were in a bad accident, and um, one of them died. And the survivor, for the entire time he was in the hospital, they didn't tell him that because they said, you know, there there again. I don't know how much of this is, you know, medically accurate or whatever, but I remember the people saying like, well, he had, he had a brain injury. So if they tell him this, something traumatic like this happened to his friend, that it could have caused his brain to swell and then bleed. And so, you know, in my head, I'm thinking like, oh, she could be so much worse than they're letting on, but they don't want to risk my, you know, medical safety or whatever. Um, they took her in an ambulance first, and and then once they loaded me into the ambulance, I heard that they were life flighting her um, to Lehigh Valley Burn Center in Allentown, Pennsylvania, um, 
again, literally a hospital I had only ever heard of because of their burn ward. Um, we are we are not close to Allentown. We uh, again, there's much closer large metro areas to us. There was never a reason to visit Allentown. I don't think I had ever been there except for like one time when I was very young. There's only one thing I know of in Allentown. Yeah. Um, so they told me in the ambulance that they were going to take her to Allentown and they were going to take me to um, Geisinger in Danville, Pennsylvania. Um, and I immediately was like, I, you need to take me to the same place as her. Like, again, I, I could see, I could see my hands. Like I knew how bad my hands were burnt. And obviously I could feel the intense pain on my face. Um, and as the, I, I guess it was shock wearing off, the, the pain sharpened. And that's when they began giving me fentanyl. Um, they changed their call and they did um, drive me to the same um, life flight zone, life flight uh, takeoff area as my wife. Um, and I was flown to, I was flown to Lehigh Valley Burn Center. Um, again, they, they gave me multiple doses of fentanyl in, in the ambulance. And then again, while we were in the air, um, and it almost felt like a dream, like being in the helicopter with these, again, like never, never, I'd never been in a helicopter before. Um, and even with my injuries, they like put earmuffs on me and with a microphone, like, so this is how I communicated with these guys. But they, again, it was like, I don't know, it was bad. I knew it was bad, but again, I was now very drugged um, and it felt dreamlike. And, and, I, and I even remember saying to the guy, I know I'm going to wake up and this is not going to be real. Um, I don't remember what he said, but landed at the hospital. They took me out on a gurney. Um, and they, they wheeled me into the trauma bay where I could see my wife. Um, they were scrubbing her. And when she was done, they wheeled her away and they wheeled me into her place and they cut my clothes off and began scrubbing me. And again, you know, the only thing I had in mind was like, I need to get through this so that I can get to be at the same place as her. So like, they're telling me not to move and they're trying to roll my body. But I, again, didn't feel like I was injured that badly. So I'm like, I'm rolling myself. And I'm like, like when they said, we got to cut your clothes off. I was like, just, I just, I'll just take them off. Just let me take them off. And they're like, no, this is how we do it. And, and again, I, you know, th this, the memory is hazy. Cause again, at this point I'm very drugged. Um, I should say before they wheeled me into her place, before they wheeled her out of the room, I couldn't stop staring at her and the way, the way, she was moving when they moved her. I could tell that she was no longer conscious. My my vantage was like looking down over my legs to see the top of her head, um, but I could see you know you you know what I mean. Like if you if there's a person completely passed out and you like flip them over, they're not going to use their arms to brace themselves or whatever. Right, got dead weight. Yeah, and and that's you know ultimately bait, the way her body was moving. I could tell that she was not, and the the paramedic who was in the and again, if that's not the correct term, I apologize to anyone out there who's you know listening, who is a medical professional. Um, the 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 guy who was in the chopper with me said, 
Um, Andrew, don't look over there. It's not doing you any good. Um, he's like, just focus, be here with me. I don't remember what I said back to him. I did not look away. You know, then I went into her place and they cut my clothes off and they scrubbed me. And I remember asking, why are you washing me? Um, and they said, it's just what they do uh, for a house fire, for, for, for um, survivors of a house fire, because um, so many of your, so many of the things in your home when they burn are incredibly carcinogenic. So they try to get that off of you as soon as possible to um, not have other, you know, issues crop up during your hospital stay. Um, after that, they, they wheeled me into a new room where again, uh, they, they put my gurney next to hers, but she was probably 20 feet away from me. And she was, her, her, her bed was surrounded by people. Um, there's a lot of shouting going on, a lot of bright lights, um, a lot of, a lot of very worried faces um, that you don't, you don't want to see a worried face in a hospital. Right. Um, I heard them say that they were going to intubate her. Um, I heard the term paralytic. I knew, I knew that there was a paralytic involved to keep her still. I knew that she was, she was out. Like she was, um, anesthetized at this point. And again, I, I don't know that I would have known what intubation was if it weren't for COVID. And, and like, it was this threat to people too, who didn't want to take COVID seriously. Like yeah, a mask is uncomfortable, but intubation is, is worse. You know, right. do, do you want to be intubated? No, you don't. Okay. Wear the mask. Don't get COVID, whatever. Um, so before they did intubate her, I, they, they said they were going to intubate me and they said they were going to put me on this paralytic. And, and again, I still, the, the woman's face is like burned into my retinas. Um, she was standing at my head. So she looked upside down to me and I said, are you going to give me something to not make it so bad or something? Again, I don't remember how I phrased it. She said, yeah. And I said, will you tell me before I, I fall asleep? Um, and she said, yes, she would. And again, she was very soothing and she, I mean, she almost sang. You know, her voice just sounded, again, despite all this trauma and everything, it's probably just the drugs in my system. Like in that moment, I was like, this is the worst chapter of my life, but it's going to be okay. We're going to be okay. So they put me under and I felt them intubate me and it was like, it's, it literally is having something stuck in your throat that you can't spit out. And again, 100% full respect and, and um, belief in medical science. Again, I knew where I was at. There was a reason I'd heard of this hospital before, and it was because these are the, you know, the best people. Um, but in my panic of you know not being able to open my eyes, not being able to move my body very much. I was like, holy shit, they're going to I'm going to die here. Like they're going to kill me with this thing that's in my throat. And again, like the the time blends together. Um I remember hearing my brother's voice and I remember hearing my dad's voice. 
and I remember feeling my dad's hand on my chest because I was I was moving too much um, and I couldn't shake my head but I was like trying to shake my hands back and forth like like you would shake your head no I don't know what I was saying no to I was just terrified and I couldn't see my wife anymore um, and that's the last thing I remember for about 36 hours when they brought me out of my coma um, it was medically induced in those first couple days I was still so intensely drugged that I don't remember much of it I remember the shock of looking at the back of my hands and there being no flesh on them at all um, it's a it's I wouldn't recommend it to anyone um, it was a number of days till they would let me see a mirror so I could see what my face looked like um, but I, I um, again this, this is where I say like the, the people who I met in this hospital were absolutely incredible um, I couldn't do anything myself like they, these people literally bathed me um, and I like, I don't know anyway um, my last day in the hospital they asked me if I wanted to see Darius who at this point was still comatose as well um, I asked about survival chances no one wanted to answer those questions again um, I was very medically naive going into all of this and I, I, I guess I think I understand more now um, but they did not want to tell me that. So on the last day before my discharge, I did, you know, walk my physical therapy lap around the ward. Um, and then I got to go in and see my wife. And, uh, her whole body was bandaged. They told me that 90% of her body was burnt. Um, we, we learned now that uh, it was all third degree every part of her that was burned was third degree her, her face was untouched there, there, were, there were areas of her body that, that were untouched um, but um, at that point they thought that a, a fair bit of the burn was was second degree which again is more optimistic because it doesn't always require grafting um, oftentimes they can stimulate skin cells to regrow there um, and in my head it was like well she's already made it through a week and I know that she's got a lot of procedures and blah 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 but again I didn't know anything about um, burns and um yeah, I, I left the hospital on. Um, Is it May 9th? I think that sounds right. Because when you were. It, it happened on a Sunday night, mm -hmm. and um, the first I got to talk to you was Wednesday, which would have been the 5th. Okay. Wednesday the 5th was the first time we talked. I was. Brent and I were sitting. Right at that coffee table over there, and, and you called me, and then we got to talk. Uh, May 9th was Mother's Day. I 
So for Mother's Day, um, I, a father, got to see my daughter while her mother laid in a hospital bed and had no knowledge of the outside world or anything. Um, And she fought for her life. Um, Meanwhile, um, coming out of the hospital, I learned, first of all, um, just how amazing the community that rallied around us was. Um, A GoFundMe was set up that um, had to keep having its goal moved because it was being met so rapidly. There Um, was a... I was actually just looking through old Facebook posts. There was a bake sale that was formed that Monday. That would have been the third, or maybe maybe it was the Tuesday. But yeah. there was a bake sale that following Saturday that what ended up raising nine thousand dollars. Yeah, at a and, bake sale, and that was student driven. Yeah, um, I I went by and there were you could have swore they were just giving away gold bars. Yeah, the brownies I had were pretty good actually. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, that there were fundraisers like from the beginning. You know, people who um, I otherwise would have said were not fans of mine, in absolute compassion and love, gathered around us and and did amazing things. There were there were signs made for us that cropped up all over our communities. There were um, benefit T-shirts. There was almost every restaurant in the area did some type of of benefit for us. Uh, spaghetti dinners, 5Ks, um, people rallied around my daughter too. Again, you know, she was completely unharmed um, in the accident, but you know, still we had lost everything. Um, m- my road to recovery we knew was going to be long, and and again at this point, the the working assumption, t- to the best of my knowledge, was that they believed as well that Darius was going to survive. Also, as I went through old, as I went through old Facebook posts, I went through old Facebook messages too. And right around the time it happened, a few people had reached out to me, and the few people that I did respond to, told them that the, the outlook was, hopeful, yeah. was opti- hopefully optimistic, was, was what the, what I had been hearing. Yeah. And I don't know if, if me being, on the the kind of outside looking in, if that was also somebody just telling me just so I wouldn't worry here it appears to me that that is the answer that was given to my mother and Darius's father that they they believed at this point that she was going to pull pull through um again the the road to recovery was going to be long period you know she was going to come out of the hospital severely addicted to the drugs that they used to keep her in a coma and to kill the pain and to, you know, um, when I was still in the hospital, um, a night nurse came to talk to me after she had had her first procedure and he, (sighs) he said that he thought, and again, he was a nerd like we are. He said that he thought she might be as guardian because, um, her vitals were superhuman. You know, she was not dipping when they expected her to. Oh, shit. Um, 
sorry, I'm not doing a good job of walking through this as a timeline. Look, by, by May 6th, my mom had to start turning away donations because we were getting so much stuff. Yeah, that I, she, I remember seeing that. She couldn't store it all. Um, and your mom's got a good a good sized basement in her house. Yeah. Um, so May 9th, I come home and leaving, again, I wanted nothing more than to leave that hospital, but leaving that hospital with her in the bed um, felt like betrayal. Felt like I was, I don't know, abandoning her. You know, I know they don't let you just stay in the hospital because you want to be with the person you love. And when I got home, when I got to my mom's house, I remember crying to my stepfather and saying that this was going to be what breaks me, that I'm going to lose my mind. Um... I wrote on the 9th, it's Mother's Day and I'm leaving the hospital today. Staying at the hospital will be the mother of my daughter and my love. I'll be going to live with my own mother for some time. The two mothers that I care most about will not have a happy Mother's Day. But it isn't because they don't deserve it. These are the most titanically strong people that I've ever known. They are two vastly different women who have been support, guidance, tenacity, strength, affirmation, forgiveness, and serenity to anyone who needs it. Of all the times in my life that I've been unmoored and adrift, it's from the beacon of one of these women that I found my way safely to shore. They've watched me sin and resin and deny my demons, but never once have they threatened to withhold their love. And never once have I been able to pay them back adequately. I probably never will, but I'll never stop trying. Um, it goes on. Um, again, at this point, at this point in my head, she was not going to die. We had always talked, you know, half-jokingly, I guess, um, about, you know, we knew that she was the stronger one, and I needed her to outlive me, because I couldn't live without her. <laughs> and she agreed. She agreed that I could die first. And again, I know that's very morbid. I'm sorry. That was, you know, we had a... An occasionally dark sense of humor about these things. Um, um, yeah, where 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 do we where do we go from here? There's so much. Um, May tenth was. I was at work and you called me and you said, "Hey, come pick me up. We're going driving." And, <laughs> and we did, and we we went out and saw the dogs and in the back of Juniata County to. Uh, a very quiet place. It was. It was nice. It was just. We were just there, and. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but. Yeah, yeah. Because again, I, I guess at that point it was like, you know, I'd gotten through my first day at home, or out of the hospital, and. Um, again, we were still pretty convinced that. She was going to be okay. I always knew that she was the strongest person I knew. And I knew that a lot of other people shared that opinion, but I never knew how many people shared that opinion. And again, I know that some people said things to me in consolation, in support, blah, blah, blah. 
but it was it was truly despite her injuries incomprehensible to anyone that she would not get through this um and so um i i visited her the, the, the drive to the hospital is a horrible drive. Um, it was on a good day, about an hour and a half for me. On a bad day, um, sometimes four hours. Anywhere from four to eight from Harrisburg to Allentown. Yeah, 78 is a horrible stretch of road. It seems to have perpetual construction. Um, and perpetually bad drivers from somehow literally every state in <laughs> northeastern America. A lot of Texas plates actually on that road too. I think because of the military base. Oh yeah. Um, God no, loves Texas. No, no, <laughs> no hate to Texas. You know, there's just a lot. It's a big state, so you know there were a lot. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, while I was in the hospital, after I had first gotten my phone back when I had called you from the hospital, um, a friend of mine and the president of our local teachers union uh, texted me and let me know that. You know, May 2nd, we were pretty close to the end of the school year anyway, um, but because I didn't have enough days to cover all of my time out, that they had organized um, a memorandum of understanding to be submitted to the district uh, because there were so many teachers who wanted to donate um, personal days and sick days to me. Um, you know, he, he told me, and again, he's an amazing human being. He was... He just apparently underestimated um, how much some people in the district don't like me. He told me not to worry about it. It was going to be fine. They they had me covered. Not you know I'm, I wasn't I was not supposed to miss a paycheck over this happening. And again, um, I don't know who this could happen to that I would be like, screw them. You know, let let them go. Um, I think I would be team pay the working professional who can't work right now because of the worst possible thing happening in his life um, i think and, i think 99.8 percent of most people agree with you yeah um on may 16th um i posted a video again i don't remember how the pushback began um, but on May 16th, my mom posted, um, Drew has been with us for a week and is healing well. The mental anguish will take much more time. Um, I'm sorry. That's the wrong post. Oh, is that the right one? Sorry. May 16th, different post from my, from my mom. What kind of an employer, what kind of employer would disallow fellow employees the ability to help out another employee in a tragic time of need. Juniata County School District, that's who. So since they will not allow fellow teachers to donate vacation days to Drew, we now need to deal with FMLA, unpaid days, and worry about insurance on top of everything else, despite the fact that his friends and colleagues offered a surplus of time to cover his leave. Decisions made behind closed doors where someone overrules common courtesy. It's simply furious. Keep piling on. Um... And this was essentially, despite the fact that we were given word that this was going to be approved, um, the school board voted behind closed doors, which again, I'm, a lot of questions about the legality of um, public representatives 
uh, performing a private vote to supersede a decision that had already been made. Um, it's worth noting the reason this has to be this had to this request, which is what it was, had to be submitted as a memorandum of understanding. It is because it alters the con the professional contract um, in the form of the policies that exist surrounding the sick bank. Um, there is an established sick bank with my district where uh, when you enroll, you must give two of your own days and you cannot withdraw for a year. I did not admittedly enroll in the sick bank because we had just had a child and I felt like I would might need my time to take off for my child. Right. God um, forbid, you know, she gets sick. You take her to the doctor. You have right. to take a day off work here. I mean, yep. in, not to mention we're, it's COVID, right? right. We're, we're in COVID times. Yeah, even in normal circumstances, you have a baby that's going to be, and it's your first child too, so admittedly every time she has a rash she has a bump it's yeah. Yeah. call the doctor we go out. to the doctor so um submitted his memorandum of understanding and it is two two lines specifically are really important here in the policy it says that exceptions can be made in extenuating circumstances, in extenuating circumstances. Uh, again worse things have happened to better people than me frankly straight up my wife for instance um I don't know what other extenuating circumstance you need to show this level of humanity. We're also talking about pay for 19 days. That's all this right. was. Yeah. It's not like you were getting paid for 95. It's not like it was pre-Christmas. Right. It's, it's also worth noting many of our, our mutual friends who I worked with were willing to give me enough time for a year. Right? Like, this was not like, oh man, they were scraping by. People were really trying to figure out what days they could donate. There, My mom said the word surplus. There was, it, surplus doesn't do it justice. Like, and again, I'm not trying to aggrandize. I'm such an amazing person. All these people wanted to give me days. These people were this amazing and their kindness was denied. Again, despite another important part of this, in the memorandum of understanding, it said that this move would be non-precedent setting. Meaning, if they do this for me now, they don't necessarily have to do it for someone else later. Um, I don't love that part because, frankly, if this happens to anyone else, it should also, this same humanity should be extended to them. Um, school board decided not. Um, at which point, a community member started a uh, petition that got, I don't have it in front of like, me. Do you... I don't know, but I feel like it was like 7,500 signatures or something it's i haven't looked at it yeah. recently. i know when i shared it to my own personal facebook page 80 other people shared it which right. i'm not some super i don't have five thousand facebook friends yeah. less than 500 yeah most of which people aren't even around the area mm -hmm. but it caught and went like it, it it went as viral as it could in the in the small community that we live in and, and again it's worth noting that there were people who were championing my family and I, who have at other times in my life in the county spoken against things that I was advocating for. And again, I would have disagreed vehemently with these people because I believe strongly in what I do. They aren't bad people, but still they could pack their pride away and do something for a fellow human being. Um, so then I, I, I made this video on um, May 16th. Uh, excuse the quality and the my, at this point in time, um, my throat was still pretty severely damaged from the fire. Here it is.
I want to start out by saying thank you to everyone who, I mean, the, for everything, all of you, even if you've just been thinking about me um, and my wife and my, my daughter, my family, um, the outpouring of support <clears throat> has been overwhelming and, and um, humbling in a, a way I never could have comprehended before all of this happened. Um, some of you might have seen posts that my mom and my brother and my sister-in-law, Jenna, have made now about um, a decision that's being made by, um, to, to my knowledge, this is an executive decision me being made by the district. Um, I'll just explain my understanding of, of what is what what the possibilities were and what, what now seems to be going on. Um, while, I, while I was still in the hospital uh, in the middle of last week, I was contacted by my friend and my union president who told me that um, to his understanding, everything would be taken care of through the end of the year. Uh, I didn't have enough sick and personal time to, to um, cover the rest of the year, but in order to not miss any pay and maintain my insurance coverage, um, other teachers and friends, um, amazing people that I'm privileged to work with every day, uh, donated time to me. Um, the district, the way it works is they do a sick bank type program where you can opt in at the beginning of the school year, um, which is just saying like, I will, I will give days or get days depending on if I need it. Um, I should have done it. I didn't do it. I thought this year with a baby that I would probably need all of my days. Um, this is a miscalculation on my part. To my knowledge, again, there is fine text in this agreement that says, you know, in unprecedented circumstances, in an emergency situation, um, someone can be opted into the sick bank program without having previously enrolled. Um, and again, my friend and the union president, uh, his understanding too was that that would be fine because I lost my home. My wife is in a coma. Um, I'm current, I mean, the recovery is going really well for me, but I'm currently recovering and not able to care for my own daughter independently. Um, so, you know, all the generosity and charity from all of these people around me would have covered those days. Um, anyway, I, I'm just trying to explain this from my perspective. This, I don't want to mischaracterize, I guess this does seem like, um, I don't know what spirit this move is coming out of. Um, I mean, I think that we all understand rules or, or policies exist for a reason and adherence to those things is important, but um, at the sake of, of humanity and compassion, I have trouble understanding it. I have trouble justifying it. And um, it, it makes my blood boil. I'm, I'm trying not to show that. Um, it makes me furious that this could come at the deficit of my, my wife and child. Um, when they've already suffered so much. So I'm just putting this out here into the whatever universe um, in hopes that maybe you feel like there's something you can do about it. Um, letters, emails, phone calls, um, comments at board meetings. Again, to my knowledge, this is not a decision being made by the school board. This is a decision being made by uh, leadership in the district, specifically one person. Um, again, so many of the leaders in the district have reached out to me and been more than kind, more than gracious, well wishes, financial contributions, you know, just an offer to talk even. Um, you have all been so incredible. Um, 
I've gotten so much more than I deserve from you uh, in this time. So thank you. Please, please keep uh, Darius uh, in your thoughts and prayers. Um, and I hope to I hope to talk to you all soon when things are um, back to some semblance of normalcy. So thanks for listening to my rant. If there's anything that you think you can do, uh, uh, I and my family would appreciate it. Thank you. So yeah, I, sorry, I kind of ran over most of that before I, I played that um, for you, but... Uh, what day did you post the video? Was that also May 16th? That was posted on May 16th. May 16th. So, literally, two weeks since everything had happened, and a decision had already been made right. to... I mean, I'm not, the, I'm not the smart one here. To screw you out of less than 20 days of work. Correct. In which most employers give you, I mean, being a teacher is a little bit different. I've never been a teacher, but a week sick time plus vacation time. Right. Um, we get uh, um, 10 sick days every year and three personal days. Um, That's what? Thir- six days you would have had to cover? If you, if you had every day. Right. That you and would- I didn't, admittedly. So, I mean, again, I, I don't want to mischaracterize and pretend like something I already had was taken from me. An offer was made by the kind friends and coworkers that I have, and it was denied. Um, at this point, again, I'm, I'm sorry, it, 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 we're talking about something back in May, and I sh- should have been journaling, but I was mostly just trying to survive um, and spend enough time with my wife. Just a note for anyone out there, whoever has a spouse, in a coma, in the hospital, there is no such thing as enough time. You will never feel like that. Um, you will never feel like you get to spend enough time with that person. Um, at this point, at this point, um, I don't know if she wants me to say her name, so I, I won't. But a, a person who I hadn't spoken to in years organized this this uh, change.org petition, um, which took off. It's right here, actually, since we were speculating on how many um, signatures it had at final... Um, it has six thousand nine hundred ninety-five signatures. I said seventy-five hundred. So, yeah. prices right rules. I lose. But. And 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 literally again, this was a petition being presented to the school board, simply asking for them to honor what was an attempted donation. That's it. Yeah. No. No pitchforks. No. Right, it wasn't Off the time with your for heads, it, right? It's, yeah. But like, who who wants to make such a horrible situation more indecent? No one who was trying to help me wanted that. Um, so when it when it rolled around again for another school board meeting, in in the meantime, again, I should still quantify people who like. I mean, again, I think a lot of people stood around and they were like, "We've got to do something. What do we do?" And they did, you know, there were so many fundraisers going on. People consistently kept doing fundraisers throughout the months of this going on. There was just a fundraiser, what? When was the 5K? Last week, two weeks ago. Two Two weeks weeks ago. ago. I'm sorry. And there was Um, a t-shirt sale that just wrapped up Saturday. Yeah. Um, News stations picked up on it. Um, Penn Live out of Harrisburg used to be um, Patriot News. They picked up on it. Um, Again, so much of it felt... To me, inglorious. I met a news crew outside of the burnt husk of my house to tell this story. 
not a move I would make again if they weren't. And and, and and this this part's important too. If no one had ever offered me these days, I never would have asked for them. Daris was incredible. One of the things that she believed in most, though, was that kindness should not be denied. And so this fight was about, again, like I said earlier, um, there are so many things that I feel like are a, a profanity to her name. This was one. And I was ready to fight for this. Um, so I met with a lawyer. Saying this from the group of people who were also with you, we were, we were all ready to... I'd like to, at some point, potentially read the letter that I wrote to the school board. Oh, yeah, no, That ahead. I was not able to read. But when we get there, we'll get there. Okay. Um, yeah, cause, yeah, help me remember, even. I mean, uh, we were told no. That's why this May 16th thing happened, the change.org petition. And it started to catch on. Um, anyway, another decision was made behind closed doors by the school board. Um multiple members wanted this to be brought to a public vote. Other members did not want it to happen. I suppose they voted on voting and they voted to vote behind closed doors. Um, all of this to say the word that reached me um, on behalf of certain school board members was that they had no desire to help me because they thought I thought they thought that I think they are racist. Well, they are. Yep. Um, and that's probably the kindest thing anybody will call them. Right. And and all of this is a result of uh, two things. One was our activism surrounding BLM uh, following the murder of George Floyd. Uh, and then um, uh, three friends, uh, one of which... Uh, was a former school board member, the other of which is also an employee of the district, and the third is also an educator. Um, we conducted a survey in our community to determine, you know, what we, we you know, protests got us, you know, however far um, there were violent clashes in our tiny little county seat. Um, it was a serious thing. And we realized, again, if we were, if, if, uh, racial minorities and their allies were such an enormous or such a tiny minority in the whole community that advocating for them n meant more than just you know holding signs on the street corner. Okay, so we conducted this survey, yada yada. Big surprise. Guess what the biggest purveyor of racism in the county was the school district. Um, again, um, the number one reason was other students, but a shocking number of people that in in of the top five. Uh, places that people had experienced racism in the county, three of them were the school district. The number one was peers. Number two was from teachers. And number four was policies that are in place in the district that, you know, it's worth also noting that sometime in this whole period, my district voted to disallow critical race theory, all while failing to define exactly what that is or why they think it's a threat. That is a whole nother episode. Yeah. Oh boy. So, um, yeah, my, my district denies me. Um, I, I had a, a, a lawyer helping me with things. Um, we got to a point where basically it was, we can continue to pursue this. Um, I, I will never say that I walked away with my tail between my legs on this matter, but 
um, you know, uh, my full-time job right now was trying to be with my wife in the hospital and trying to be a half-decent father. Um, the, the physical healing went very smoothly. Um, you know, parts of my ears are like melted still. Um, like the cartilage is gone. Um, I have some scars, um, but overall, you know, the, the, the physical was, was, um, minute by comparison. Um, so, so that, that issue ended, uh, not in the way that anyone wanted it to. Um, at a school board meeting, several people spoke on my behalf, including you. Yeah. Um, more, including, more people. In, including other teachers who, you know, again it shouldn't be and I, and I and I don't think it's completely legal to come after a public educator who is also a taxpayer and a voter in the district um, for expressing their opinion off of school time I don't I don't think there's actual any actual legal recourse um, but again we live in the Wild West and some of the people on the board again this even feels like a risk to me um, but I want the full story to be known um, there were people who stuck their necks out for me who could have lost so much more than I stood to gain uh, and they did it anyway um, more fundraisers um, people people asked for updates consistently on Darius's prognosis and again we felt optimistic um, I, I learned from doing a lot of doom reading um, that what often kills burn survivors is not um, complications with surgery or, or the burn itself. It's infections that set into these major wounds during the long, long healing process. It's this, it was described to me by one of these nurses who is an absolute angel um, that it's, it's this race between infection and healing. Um, and every time an infection takes place, healing slows. Um, uh, while Darius was in the hospital, there were a lot of ups and downs. There were nutritional concerns. Um, then we got to the point where, because her metabolism is so insanely fast, that she was metabolizing drugs at a rate that they couldn't they couldn't keep up with with, with basically. Um, eventually, safely, yeah, right. You can't just eventually. I had to sign a waiver. Um, I had to sign a waiver for her to be given um, other drugs that are not, you know, again, it was not like, oh man, we're really risking something big here, but the pharmacy at the hospital, um, you know, wanted to make sure I was aware of what the risks were. Um, and I was, uh, and, it, and I would make the same decision again because my fear was her waking up in agony and absolute, you know, hell, right? Just yep. fear, confusion, pain. Again, all things that if there were any justice, this person would have been spared. Um, oh, uh, boy. Where, where do we go from here? I'm, I'm just trying to look through the timeline. There's another school board meeting on June 17th. Um, despite the fact that, that several people spoke on my behalf again, the board neglected to even address the issue. Probably. That was the... Yeah, I think that was the one that we spoke at. Yeah. 
Um, Darius was going through, you know, a lot of major surgeries. Um, and, you know, again, it was a lot of finger crossing and hoping that this would be something major, uh, a major breakthrough for the positive. Um, she was receiving a lot of blood transfusions because part of, again, you know, the, we, we should have given a lot of trigger warnings probably on this episode, but if you are uh, queasy at all about medical procedures, um, they do a thing called debreeding. Um, debreeding and excision. Excision is literally uh, using a scalpel to cut away pieces of dead tissue that will not, you know, have no chance of regrowing. They do that to bring healthy tissue to the surface, hoping it, you know, that it can regrow. And then debreeding is, is basically that same thing. It's the removal of, of dead tissue or damaged tissue. But instead of using a scalpel, they use essentially a, a metal brush and they scrub a wound, uh, in, in, intentionally making it bleed. Um, because, again, I don't understand enough about the process, but because there were so many procedures that re, 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 uh, involved so much bleeding, um, she was going through a, an insane amount of blood um, in, in the form of transfusions. Um, just a, a plug really quick, if you have a chance to donate, please do. We are still in a massive, massive shortage, um, which, again, I learned through this experience. Um, Did the second blood drive happen yet? Was that in October? That was just last weekend. Just last yes. weekend. Yeah. I knew it was. I knew it was coming up, and I had, yeah. I had not seen anything more about it. Yeah, um, she battled multiple infections throughout her time there. Um, I kept hoping for the best, but it started to seem like the worst was on the horizon, um, and. I don't know what day I asked the question, but because of you know fevers and infections, um, you know inexplicable rejections of grafts, I um, I began to ask the question: When do we say enough is enough? You know these procedures aren't working, um, and we let her go again. I was asking that question not thinking we were standing on the precipice of that, but wanting to know what those options looked like. Um, I never thought that at, at, you know, 29 when the fire happened, 30 now, that at this age I would be making life and death decisions for my wife. Um, and I got a little bit of a pushback from, from a surgeon. Um, again, in, in speaking to some other people at the hospital, um, the surgeon who oversaw most of Darius's case understood why I was asking these questions. This, this other surgeon, um, what I what I came to understand from some nurses was that um, he is a very like live at all costs kind of person, and 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 again, I don't think there was any ill intent, but he shared an anecdote with me that I I think was supposed to be uplifting. Um, about a, a patient he had whom uh, they had to amputate all four limbs um, who uh, requested to die multiple times while in the hospital um, but they they got him through it uh, he you know recovered and seven years later came back to to give the surgeon a hug and thank him for it um, and that is not a story that I 
feel like I can draw a whole lot of inspiration and strength from, right? Um, yeah, even you just telling me that story secondhand, I'm not like, oh, good, great, well, that's yeah. a good. I'm just like, right. So um, again, to that point, that had been my only negative interaction with anyone uh, at the hospital. Um, we began having family meetings with the medical staff. Um, frequently it would be, um, Daris's sister, Jenna, um, her, her dad, Jim, um, my mom, Susan and, and I uh, in attendance. And there was not a single one of those meetings that was like easy and everything is great. Um, again, I kept asking for like, what are her chances? What are her chances? Tell me your chances. They would not tell me. Um, Sometime in all of this, I had a meeting with my lawyer, my union president, um, the attorney for the district, um, the business manager, the president of the school board, and the superintendent. In that meeting, all three of the people on my side spoke. I, I spoke last because, again, I wanted to be, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to screw up my own stuff. Um, from their side the lawyer spoke 90% of what they said. And it was, again, you know, no offense to lawyers. I, I told this to my own attorney, like, he is the image of why people don't trust lawyers. You know, he's well-dressed, well-spoken, but just seems, like, unsympathetic, um, uncaring, flippant almost. Like, like I was inconveniencing him by, you know, a asking for these days. Um, again, I, I know I'm struggling with this timeline because, I, you know, I said I had given it up, but clearly I had not yet. Um, the, the business manager also spoke and, um, you know, they said that they, the, the district's side was that, you know, there's a policy that exists that already says, like, if you're not in the sick bank, then they don't owe you anything. True. I recognize that. I also recognize the caveat that it said there could be exceptions in extenuating circumstances and that we had written in that this was non-precedent setting. Um, and the other piece of their case was that it would cost the district, um, an extra $300 for those 19 days if they paid me in the form of other people's sick time than what they would spend in getting a sub for me uh, and not paying me. $300 is the difference it makes for them. In the difference for me, that was thousands of dollars. Um, and the threat of maybe losing my insurance if I didn't file FMLA. Like, there's a million other things going on. Now I have to make a doctor's appointment to go sit with my doctor. Again, an amazing human being. Um, to fill out this paperwork just so I can take it to them and say, yeah, the worst possible thing happened to me. Um, at the end, I, I, I don't, I'm, again, I don't have a, a quote by quote. They had to, um, one, of, one of the only areas of Darius's body that they could take um, skin from for grafting was her scalp. Uh, so they had to shave her head. And so I asked for her, her ponytail and they gave that to me. And again, like, you know, you know hell is the only thing that will make me part from that. Um, Darius was cool beforehand, but somehow even cooler with a shaved head. Yeah, she, there was a very Natalie Portman yeah. for Vendetta vibe. Um, she loved the movie, so she would appreciate it. Um, and I, I sorry, that all of that is to say that at the end of this meeting, I said that... Um, I know you know what you're doing is wrong. One, one of these four men did cry when I said that. I won't say who. Um, 
none of them cared to lift their eyes to look at me while I said this. I said, I know, I know that you know this is wrong, um, and I have the entire community behind me, but at the end of the day, I have a daughter who might lose her mother, I have a comatose wife who's grievously injured, and I have a ponytail and a biohazard bag. Um, at which point my lawyer advised that I leave the room. <laughs> so I did, and she... That is... I got... I mean, it's cold in here. Yeah. It's it's unsettlingly cold in here, actually. But I got chills when you said that. I got chills when you told me it the first time, because how can any kind of human being not have any reaction to that and still think what they're doing is policy? Right. And that's what I, I said to my lawyer... Um, while we walked afterwards to cool down. And again, my friend and union president stayed in the room and fought with these men uh, on my behalf. Um, I said to her while we walked, you know, maybe I should have, maybe I should have brought the ponytail. You know, maybe I should have brought that as like a, you know, tell me this isn't real. Um, right. If you don't mind me interjecting here real quick, but as your best friend and stuff, even I at times was very much living on the outside of it and you you live your life and and you get the updates and stuff but you don't know how real it is until you're back with the family yeah. and you see everything again people on the further outskirts of that have no idea how real this whole thing was you get to see the facebook post that says oh there's had a good day today you go back and you have dinner with your family right. the next day you see things aren't so good you go back you have dinner with your family yeah. you see it for two minutes a day and then you're done with it right nobody understands what it's like to live with it yeah no you're, you're I, 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 I you're right and again I would would have so much rather been on the outside of all, all of this um, but I don't know and I and, you know she she said to me I said I should, you know maybe I should have brought it and, and again I, I was of the same mentality as you like if you are able to be outside of this and not feel it let me make it fucking real for you yep um, she said it wouldn't have changed anything and frankly they don't deserve to see it and that <laughs> yeah damn yeah I don't want to sully any part of my wife by getting her close to black hearts like that um, um, again you know I, I'm not going to say who I heard this from uh, very reliable source that um, there was doubt that um, that I even uh, um, was qualified for FMLA um, because there was doubt that I again I have an official PTSD diagnosis from this um, I, I, I've always been a believer in mental health I you, you know PTSD is a thing that like soldiers get or, you know, PTSD is a thing that like people who get abducted get, you know, whatever. Yeah, that's, it, it, that's not going to happen to me, you know? Right. Um, and I think that's probably a, a whole other episode. I think we could do a whole episode just about PTSD and the mental health crisis in this country. Um, and the f fact that we live in a school district that probably doesn't think mental health is a thing. Correct. The key administrator apparently doubts that I, have sustained any trauma from this if you're uh, listening to this you can't see me but i rolled my eyes yeah. so much so that i almost fell out of my chair <laughs> um 
yeah, uh, th- our fight with the district was over. It was going nowhere. We couldn't win. Um, again, community outpouring, people sticking their necks out for me. My my direct boss did so much for me. Uh, my former boss, who still works in the district, did so much for me. My other former boss, who still works in the district, did so much for me. Um, and all the while, uh, it, I sh- it, it's also worth mentioning, um, shout out to Mifflin County CYS, Darris's workplace, did incredible things without her. Um, it did apparently, uh, when I when I spoke to Darris's best friend, it, it became apparent very quickly exactly how much weight she pulled around there because there was a vacuum of what the hell do we do? How, how do we even run this agency without her? How can we hire eight more people? Right. Um, major shortfall with a, with a lot of things. You know, the, it, it was it was crazy too because again, this is I was watching our local world crumble without her in it because she wasn't there as the pillar that she was. Things were crumbling. Um, there was like a, a candlelight vigil. There was uh, uh, all these things. Um, Infection, 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 blood drive, blood drive. Um, next school year rolls around. And I decided um, that maybe a return to some sort of normalcy would be good for me. So I did endeavor to go back to teaching. And uh, our my first day back, we had so many in-services like all pile which was great like honestly the best way to get back into this was to not have to worry about breaking down in front of my my students um also worth noting like if if you are a parent um of my students this may have been eye-opening for you maybe um because of the language that i used or how i spoke about the district but your kids are part of what got me through the day-to-day I don't think that you have to be taught compassion I think that you have to be that part of you gets killed in a lot of people these kids had no idea what it's like to be a father or a husband or even own a home or you know but they knew that they were watching me experience the worst thing that I'd ever experienced and they were so kind um Harris continued to go downhill. Um, and on um, on uh, I'm sorry. On September 21st, uh, I'd had seven days in person with students. Um, things were getting worse. And uh, my last day at work, I had to have a good friend of both Darius and I, who's a um, school counselor, step in for me seven times in one day because I just couldn't, I couldn't get through the day. You know, stupid little things reminded me of what's really going on. It was at first easy to be in school and, and remember that I love teaching and, and um, you know, get in the, I'm just moving, right? I'm just moving. And, but it, you know, it's seven and a half hours of performance, not to mention 
prepping, grading, blah, blah, blah. I'm not telling you, you know, teaching's the hardest job in the world. It's not. Uh, but I would have been rather you know, anywhere else by this point. It's not the easiest job. It's not my job where I show up at a desk and I get to essentially sit by myself for eight hours. Yeah. I don't have to perform a song and dance Yeah, for seven periods a day, 45 minutes at a time. Um, so, yeah, I should I should step back. I think September 18th was the day that, that you and Britt went to the hospital with me. That's Sunday. Does that sound correct? Yeah. Um, and on, on that day... Um, I can I can say publicly now that the family and I had had a meeting the week prior, and um, it was revealed to us by her her primary surgeon um, that um, they they didn't know what else to do. Um, she was continuing to get infections. She was continuing to re- reject grafts. Um, they had they had even like dropped back to punt basically uh, and relied on some older methods of, of burn treatment. Um, n- nothing was working. And on September 18th, when you and Britt went to the hospital with me um, after the meeting that we had had the Thursday before, I found that her entire care plan had changed. Um, I was not alerted to this. I, again, the, the, the nurse uh, who was on staff that night, also an incredible human being, she came to, she attended Darius's memorial service. Um, I was clearly shocked by this. Um, I found that they were attempting to, well, it doesn't matter, the details don't matter necessarily. Um, I asked to speak to this new surgeon uh, she paged him and he did talk to me and I, and I guess that's uh, you and Britt were coming out of the room when you heard me on the phone right right yeah because we I think what I had heard was some nurse asked if you wanted some water or some ice or something yeah and then we just went out to the waiting room and, and yeah. just waited um, I, t- I spoke to the surgeon I spoke to the surgeon for 17 minutes I remember that specifically um, and he had expressed to me that he was changing the care plan because he did not agree with the prognosis given by Darius's primary surgeon. The prognosis given at that meeting on Thursday was that they believed that she came into the hospital with a 10% chance of survival and that now she would put it at 5%. Um, we were gutted. And I don't, again, I don't, um, not being in the medical field at all, I don't understand why sorry I understand a a reason or a motive for not telling the family of someone who's grievously injured that there's not a good chance that they'll survive because again and I I believe this to the end those nurses those PAs were still treating me when I was coming into the hospital to see her like they were still fostering me through the worst thing right and I just, I just remember how highly you spoke of everybody. You every, every time we talked, you had a, a story to tell me about a, a PA or a nurse or. Yeah. Um, but I spoke to the surgeon on the phone that night, and I said that we, as a family, had elected to go with hospice care. That 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 it was no longer fair for us to demand that Darius struggle through this 
when her chances were dwindling. Um, and yeah, you know, he said he, he didn't agree with it, but he was not going to stand in the way. Blah, blah, blah. Fast forward to the very next day, we have another family meeting at the hospital to make this decision. We have, we have discussed it. We have decided as a family, this is what we're going to do. This surgeon shows up and gaslights the entire group of us claims that he didn't know that we were even considering this that um you know he wouldn't put her chances at five percent well then what would you put her chances at i'm not going to say that wouldn't say it wouldn't say it wouldn't say it you know worked with her very little throughout her entire stay there um i asked him to leave the room so that we again this is where i this i think was the first time in this process that i actually like dissociated like i felt like this part is clearly not real because a medical professional is saying that we didn't just talk less than 24 hours ago about this exact thing. Obviously, this is not real. I'm going to wake up from this nightmare. Um, I said to him at one point that he was gaslighting us. Uh, I never thought I would speak to a medical professional the way I spoke to that man. Um, I've learned... I learned during Darius's stay that her injuries are were unprecedented. Um, I, let me restate. The fact that her vitals were so stable for so long with that bad of a burn was unprecedented. By now, we knew that all of her burn was third degree. Um, they called it, you know, 90% of her... 90% of her body had what they call a full thickness burn, which means it's burned through every layer of your skin. There's no chance of skin regrowing unless there's grafts. Um, they had done uh, this stuff called Epicel, where they, they grow skin from samples in a lab in Boston. Um, you know, this is cutting-edge stuff. This didn't exist five it's, years ago. It's, sci- it's I remember the first time you telling me about it, and it felt very science fiction-y. Right. It, it doesn't seem real. Right. And I saw pictures of burn survivors who had had this procedure done. And you, you truly, truly, in some of them, you would not have known that they had endured a burn. Um, this was rejected. Um, the graphs that they, some graphs took. Her arms did really well. Her hands, her arms did really well. Um, yeah, sorry, I'm getting lost in the weeds again. Uh the, the, the surgeon who we liked so much came in to the meeting and did talk to us and said, you know, I, I wouldn't change anything about what I told you last week. Um, uh, you're still perfectly within your rights. Um, and again, she, always the professional, um, told us what our options were, felt that we were ethically justified in whatever, whatever we decided. Um, but as Darius's husband, you know, this was my decision. And again, you know, thanks to a stupid documentary. It's not a stupid documentary. It's just incredibly hard to watch uh, called How to Die in Oregon, which is all about um, physician-assisted suicide in the state of Oregon, uh, which I think we had to watch over the course of like three sittings because five minutes in, we were both crying our eyes out. Um, this led to a conversation about what we would and would not want to survive. Again, I'm, I'm going to leave a lot of details out about all of this, um, even about some of the things that when Darius was 
not fully comatose was able to say to me um, every time she spoke to me. She told me she loved me. <laughs> and she would ask where June was at. And if I said that she's at my mom's house, she would tell me to go home and take care of her. She would make me promise to take care of her. Darius was ready to be done. Darius was, I'm sure, scared. And I'm sure confused. And because of the regimen of drugs, you would tell her something. And if you saw her the next day, she would ask you the same question. There was something that seemed crazy to me about that. This person who otherwise was always in control, right? Very rare, you know, would maybe have too many glasses of wine on a very rare occasion, you know, and be yeah. drunk, right? But otherwise was the picture of control and temperance and, right, she couldn't remember from one day to the next. Um, toward, toward the end, memories started to carry over. She, she was ready. I wasn't. On September 21st, I posted, I can't find fitting words for this. Today I made the most excruciatingly impossible decision in my life. Darius is now in hospice. There isn't another viable option. I want her to have peace. I'm entirely broken. Starting tomorrow, I will be at the hospital indefinitely. If you would like to visit in the next few days, please let me know. Um, what occurred over the next few days was a regimen of drugs used specifically for hospice to allow her to be awake and say goodbye. And a parade of people marched through that door. And every person that she was awake to talk to. She asked them about other people in their lives. And in conversations that I didn't even get to hear. Because sometimes that room had 20 people in it. The hospital staff broke policy to allow more people to come into the room in conversations I couldn't hear. She made people promise to take care of me and to take care of June. Um, my mom posted, on the same day, we as a family have watched Darius endure so much in the past months. She has suffered so greatly physically. We have watched the emotional toll also. She's weary and her body is no longer able to fight this trauma. Nothing has prepared us for this time when we have to open our hearts to let her rest. She's been placed on hospice and we cherish your thoughts and prayers as we come together as family to release her into the hands of God. Never take a single moment for granted. Life is far too short. I, um, had trouble leaving her room. The nurses told me to take breaks, and again, I'm not virtue signaling, but when someone tells you 
you should let go, and you make that decision, how the hell could you spend any time away from that person? Um, I was able to kiss her on her lips <laughs> for the first time in months because I no longer had to wear a mask in the room with her. There were times over those days between the 21st and the 25th when she breathed her last just before noon that I thought I was at peace with what we were doing and then it would strike me <laughs> uh, that we were just sitting around waiting for her to die. Uh, I got to lay next to her in bed. They were at the hospice team. I said it was like the nicest bullies I've ever met. Because they like, again, not that the other nurses ever did anything bad, but like the hospice team like bullied the normal nurses into like bringing another bed into the room so that I could butt it up right against Darius's bed and we could sleep together for the past few nights. Yeah, there was a couch and two hospital beds in there. Yeah, it was a very, very full room. Plus 30 people? Um, on September 25th, I posted, Today we said goodbye to Daris. She was surrounded by people who loved her fiercely. After a few hours of talking to her and singing her favorite songs, just before noon... She drew her last breath. She spoke to several people over the last three days. She said goodbye and told us she was ready for what comes next. With characteristic fearlessness. We are crushed by grief. I don't know what comes next. Thank you for your love and kindness in the toughest chapter of our lives. The morning she died... Um, I was in the room with her sister and her brother-in-law, my brother-in-law as well, um, and her dad. And they did what they did every other morning before that where they said, you know, they, they would make us leave the room so that they could change her bedding. Um, and this was my dedicated time of the day to leave the room. I would go and get a coffee. And I got my coffee and was sitting in the waiting room when the nurse came out and said, oh, I'm sorry, she called me actually, said, hey, are you guys in the waiting room? And I said, yeah. And she said, you should just come back now. And I said, is everything okay? And she said, you should just come back now. So we went back and she said, it's not going to be long. I'm not going to change her bedding right now. I said, okay. That's when we started to just hold her and sing to her. One of the last things I said to her is she was awake completely to hear. I asked her if she knew what was happening. And she said yes. But I'm ready.
The last thing she said to me was that she loved me. And that she loves June. And I laid in bed next to her as they gave her more morphine. Her breathing got slower. And there were multiple times that I thought we saw. And I thought we saw the last breath. But then she would breathe again. And when the last breath happened, My brother told me he can't forget the noise I made. I clung to her. And I thought it I thought it was for like a couple minutes. And then a couple days later then Jim told me that I laid with her for an hour and a half. She wasn't there, but her body was a big piece, you know? There were so many people whose funerals I had been to before, like even as a kid, I think, where the comfort you tell kids is like that, you know, that's just their body. That's not them. That's not who they are. And I believe that. But it was still really... inconceivable to think like this is the last time I'll ever see that that body um I don't know The next day um, was our, would have been our sixth wedding anniversary. September 26th was a day that I always thought I would be filled with joy. And I, I hope that one day I can Think back to that day in 2015 that was so incredible, but I don't know what else to say. We buried her on October 2nd. Um, I wrote and performed her eulogy. You, you, you spoke at the service several people who loved her intensely spoke at the service people from some of the farthest reaches of our life came out to express how much they loved her I haven't brought myself yet to look through the the guest book so I don't know how to say how many people were there I guess um 
Because even while, like, eulogizing her, I feel like I couldn't look away from the casket. I went up there, too, and I don't... I don't know if I could have told you a face I saw in the crowd. Um... Given that we were surprised by one of the visitors that nobody seemed to have yeah. noticed beforehand. Someone, um, yeah. She doesn't deserve to be named. Someone who was once very dear to us, who hurt Darius a lot, showed up at the funeral. Um, anyway, yeah, I don't want to waste time with that either. Um, it's been a month to the day since the funeral. It feels like yesterday. It feels like the past just keeps shrinking and the future feels very long. Life feels very long. My, my daughter, who, you know, Daris fought fiercely to protect from COVID, got COVID two days after the funeral which then like put us in total lockdown we didn't get to see any of the people who we wanted to be with who we wanted to grieve with I don't know what I believe let's uh, let's not leave out the fact that his daughter's fine yeah yeah sorry yeah sorry full recovery nothing nothing keeps her down sorry you're right I apologize Somehow has developed an English accent as well. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She, um, yeah. On the the 16th was the 5K. I I don't know if I got that date right when I said about it earlier. And this was like our, you know, like the the first outing after um, my daughter had recovered from COVID. And my mom was already at the, the location with my daughter. Um, and in my drive there, and, and, and again, um, ever since, I just find myself talking to Darius a lot. I asked for a sign to know that she's okay. Because it's really hard to except that she's gone like I I even sometimes like something happens and I'm like oh yeah I gotta tell Daris about that and it's not like I grab my phone and start typing a text or anything like that but like I actually think like I, I have to tell Daris about that because this was a, a person who never left me alone and I don't I don't mean she bothered me all the time <laughs> she never left me feel alone we were partners and everything. Anyway, I, half to myself, half to her, asked for a sign. And when I got to the, the site of the 5K, my daughter saw me and came running over. I picked her up. And she, she pointed to the sky. It was a really cloudy day. But it hadn't rained yet. And there was just like... I don't know what you call it. A piece of rainbow hanging in the sky? I think that's what they call it. It's a piece of rainbow. 
<laughs> you know the sorry we'll speak uh like seventh or eighth grade earth science we saw the the full spectrum of light of visible to the eye visible to the human eye light Prisms. yeah in, in the sky um and if that wasn't again serendipitous enough one of the attendants approached me 15 minutes later and said i got a really cool picture of you and your daughter I said, oh, when? And he said, just a couple minutes ago. He showed me this picture that he took of me. And, you know, June and I are very small in frame. And um, you can see that we're looking directly up into the sky where this rainbow is. Very, very visible in the image as well. Um, I, say, I say I struggle to know, you know, what I believe in anymore because, like, the cynic in me, if someone else would have said this to me and I had not experienced this tragedy... Okay, I never would have rained on that for them, obviously. But I would have been like, you know, in my head. Right. Yeah, okay. I, I, like, I know where you're at. Right? Um, very few people said this to me while we were going through this experience, but there were a few people who told me that this was God's plan. Which... If you're listening and you know someone who's going through something and you think that by telling them that y your wife's horrible agony and misery and eventual death is part of the plan of a benevolent creator, don't, don't, don't do it. Don't say that to them. Um, that's really probably my biggest complaint with my community is just that again no one ever said that to me in ill intentions um there there was a, a little bit of an annoyance where like I, I complained to you early on that there were like people who i feel like thought they bought a subscription to your life yeah like you know they gave 10 bucks to the gofundme people who i didn't know messaged me there's there's there are these there are two people who have messaged me every single day since the fire to ask me what's going on, how's how's your wife? Um, like at worst, that comes out of a, a an impulse of nosiness or you know the the want for gossip. At best, it is still benevolent. The worst thing happened just yesterday. Um, a, a friend joked with me that they you know they can tell that I'm. becoming myself again because I was engaging in a Facebook argument. Uh, I recognize fully that Facebook arguments are meaningless, but um, again, it was on a, a post by a medical practitioner about the importance of wearing masks, and you know, it was it was snarky. It was like a meme um, that said something like, um, "If you think that masks restrict um, or reduce your oxygen saturation, make sure you tell your surgeon next time." to take that off you wouldn't want him to perform his job impaired or something like that just to interject here we haven't when was the last time we did the did an episode march where it's still covid 30 yeah it's right yeah um and we started this podcast during covid during covid during the so initial lockdown of, yeah um so I said something snarky. Uh, I'm sorry. That was the original post. Someone commented and, you know, said something about like, oh, if you believe surgeons wear masks to prevent 
contagion spread. I've got another story to tell you or something like that. I'm like, what? That, that, that doesn't even make any sense. And why do you think they're wearing them? Like what? But I didn't engage in that. My comment simply was that uh, it must be really hard for you to find enough foil to make your hats with with all the supply shortages going on. Um, you know, there's a, some back let, and forth. Let me commend you on a fine joke. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I'm afraid I stole it from somewhere. I can't. No, take it. Okay. It's yours. I haven't heard it. I'm, it makes it seem like I'm just a fucking comedy wizard over here. You are. <laughs> um, but he said, you know, there was a little bit of back and forth, and eventually some other guy, you know, wanders into this conversation and says something to me about, um, you know, that he and his his brotherhood, which again, you know, I think when I told you that, I was like, I don't know what his brotherhood is, whatever the, whatever that means. You know who calls things their brotherhood? Yeah, I was a little worried about that. Well, that's, they did somehow bring in, like, BLM activism. They called me a BLM cultist, um, which is amazing to me because, like, again, don't get, I will I will fight your stupid racism any day of the week, but, like, we, we were really just talking about COVID. But, I re- like, again, it's like this whole argument is hand-woven for them by Tucker Carlson. Right. If one thing emerges that they disagree yeah, with, you gotta, then you are... It's leftist bubble. Right. It's just what you are. You're the liberals... Right, libtard, yeah. snowflake. Right, yeah, because then he said something about like I, if if I believe, again, I was not engaging with this man. I was not engaging in this line of conversation, whatever. Um, and he said something about like if you believe in black empowerment, then you shouldn't want to take away everyone's guns. And I was like, you, you, you know nothing about my politics. I, I really don't want to take away <laughs> people's guns. Um. So he put, he said, you know, his brotherhood helped me, whatever. Um, basically, though, so I think that I, I I just messaged him directly. And again, not necessary. I should be big enough to walk away from this, but... That's a real power move, though, actually, on your part. I, yeah, well, the uh, I think that the original poster deleted the post because she was just like, this is such right. stupid garbage. Yeah. So I, I messaged him directly. I said, hey, so I don't know you or literally anything about you, but I read your comment on so-and-so's post that was directed at me. I don't remember it all at this point, but the implications were threefold. One, you said that you and your brotherhood helped me out. I don't know what your brotherhood is, but if that's the case, I appreciate it deeply. On behalf of my daughter and I, thank you. Number two, you said I asked for help. I didn't. I am living through the worst chapter of my life, and I've lost the love of my life and every one of my worldly possessions. Despite that, I only asked those who are close to me for help. All of that being said, I am still humbled and honored that so many of you chipped in. Number three, your implication, or direct statement, I can't remember, was that because I received your help, I should what? Fall in line? Shut my mouth? Adopt your beliefs? I can't and won't do that. I don't expect you to respect my specific principles because we seem pretty different, but I hope you can at least understand that by doing any of those things, I would be completely sacrificing my morals. That isn't an option. Again, thank you for your help. Did he respond or did he leave you on red? Uh, it's that thing where, like, because we're not friends, I can't even see if he read it. Uh, he definitely read it. Yeah. But no, he did not respond. Um. <laughs> maybe. All of this to say, I'm not going to make a habit of invoking the name of my deceased wife throughout the rest of my life. It's not going to be like every cause. I, you know, every time I open my mouth, I'm doing this because of Darius, right? But when you lose someone who was so incredibly principled 
and strong and wholly good and poised and wise. And, and again, you know, I, I know, how, we're, I'm sure we're getting on the long end of things at this point, but I know that in our relationship and in this podcast and in the rest of my life, I'm going to talk about her and who she was and what she believed in all the time, but there were things about her when she was here that I, that I took for granted. And I know that it doesn't matter what you do while your love is alive. If you ever lose them, you will always feel like you took things for granted. You do. It's just the way we live our lives. It's hard to be in absolute, you know, reverent bliss at all times. But in her eulogy, I talked about how often, even when we were kids, she was teaching me things that I didn't think I needed to know. And I don't mean she ever lectured me or anything like that. I mean, she did lecture me when I was being an idiot. Or She know. lectured all of us when we were all being idiots. Yeah. That's dangerous. Yeah. Um, if she is watching me, then yeah, every, every, every good thing I do is in honor of her. But one of the things that she would be so angry at me about would be if because kind people, or, or let me rephrase, people in a moment of kindness aided us, if I allowed that to buy my silence on issues that were important to us, for instance, in this case, just basic empathy for other human beings, be it their health or the, you know their well-being in a society that treats them poorly based on the color of their skin, if I just got quiet about that, she would be furious. If I just became quiet about that because I didn't want to make waves in this community that again, I disagree with a lot of what they do, but treated me pretty well through this horrible thing. She wouldn't recognize who I am. Yeah, it's not the time to get quiet. It's time to turn the volume up. Yeah, so at this point, you know, the fire in my belly, I don't know where I go from here. I don't know if my home is here anymore. I do know that, yeah, I'm not going to shut up about what we both believed in. Because now it's, you know, she's not here to act on it. And that is, that's it, I guess. Um, Yeah. Um, <laughs> the recommendation sounds sarcastic and it seems silly to even making this podcast again I hope I didn't upset anyone who loved Darius by explaining all of this in the detail that I did um, I, I spared a, a good bit that I think is appropriate um, things that are private for her, her very close friends and family. Um, I'm trying to cobble together some semblance of normalcy for my daughter. Every time she picks up a phone, she... She says, hi, mommy. Every time she walks past a picture of her mom, she stops and talks about her. 
I mean, this is, she's not two years old. She's got a very advanced vocabulary for the age she is, but she doesn't, you know, she's not like, I remember the time that mom did that. You know, it's not that. It's not that. Um, anyway, sorry. Uh, my recommendations are, um, in terms of a, a piece of media, um, an album that Daris loved, uh, that she made me listen to begrudgingly when we had first started dating, and you know, I quote unquote only liked hardcore and metal and punk, right? Which we, I think we maybe mentioned on an episode before that, like, amongst our friend group, that's what we insisted upon, but we all secretly yeah, listened we all, to. Yeah, we uh, all liked a little bit of emo, the softer side. Yeah, um, but yeah, Daris, one of Daris's favorite bands was, was Death Cab for Cutie, and when we first started dating, I was like, I hate Death Cab, like, I can't stand them. It's one of my favorite bands now, and um, there's a song on the album Plans called What Sarah Said, um, which is all about... The chorus says... Um, it's all about watching a person die in a hospital, and, and the chorus says, love, love is watching someone die. And again, when we were kids and she would make me listen to this song, it would make me cry. And I was like, why do you want to listen to music that makes you cry? But again, it's like, she just knew something. She knew it would be useful to me someday. So listen to that song. And if you knew her, think of her when you listen to it. There are a million other songs that are emblematic of her strength and her grace and her beauty and her wisdom. But I think that, um, if you knew her and loved her, listening to that song, uh, you can sit down and have a nice little cry. <laughs> Good luck not... I can't listen to any Death Cab for Cutie. Oh, uh, really? Not a single one. And my other recommendation, not a piece of media, is... Uh, God, I sound like a Hallmark card. Just tell the people that you love. Other people that you love that you love them. Every chance you get. And I was not... <laughs> I was not... Having me tell you I love you is never like pulling teeth. I offer that comment pretty freely. I don't mean I'm the most loving person. I mean my family expresses love in a lot of ways, but we also always do it verbally. At least upon, you know, leaving each other, right? You'll never tell a person that you love them too much. And you can never not appreciate them too much. You can never you can never appreciate them too much. I'm not saying live every day fearing that you're going to lose a person you love, but I am saying spend every conscious moment that you have trying to appreciate everything about them and rolling everything that you do love about them around in your head. There's always regret when you're the one left alive. But anything you can do to reduce that will make your life that much easier. Thanks for doing this with me. I love you. I love you too. I'm glad to be a part of it. Everything, everything we do, we do it for Darius now. <laughs>